we're talking about the idea of the glorious impossible and the different miraculous aspects surrounding uh, the Christmas season and the birth of Christ. So many different miracles, and uh, I'm sure it would not be possible to uh, to go through and, and enumerate them all. Uh, but the one that I want to look at for a few minutes this evening is the virgin birth. Uh, when I think about this story, uh, or not story, but the, the reality, the fact of the virgin birth of Christ, I was reminded uh, of a little story I heard a long time ago about a little boy who had gone to Sunday school. And on the way home from church, his parents were asking him about what the Sunday school lesson had been about. And he said, well, it was about Moses and, and uh, the crossing of the Red Sea. And uh, so his parents, trying to draw him out a little bit to see what he learned, said, uh, well, how, how did that go? How, how did it all happen? How did it take place? And the little boy said, well, Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt, and they ran into the Red Sea, and, and the Egyptian army was behind them. And so Moses called in a squad of attack helicopters to give them cover, and they got in hovercrafts and rode across the Red Sea as quickly as they could. And he, he went on in this manner for a while, kind of telling the story. And after he came to a conclusion, his mom and dad kind of began to reprimand him and say, now you know that's not the way that story went. And the little boy said, yeah, I know, but you would never have believed it the way they told it. And that's the kind of thing that we think about when we think often of miracles and the unusual uh, details around the birth of Christ, and uh, especially uh, when we think of the virgin birth, I was reading uh, from a man named William Lane Craig. I don't know if you're familiar with that name, but he is a, a wonderful Christian apologist, a defender of the Christian faith. And he said before he came to Christ that the idea of the virgin birth was a major stumbling block to him. And uh, he said that when the Christian message was first shared with me as a teenager... Uh, he said, I had already studied biology. And he said, I knew that for the virgin birth to be true, a Y chromosome had to be created out of nothing in Mary's ovum in order for her to produce a male child. And he said, to me, that thought was utterly fantastic, and I couldn't believe it. Eventually, uh, William Craig said he put the issue, the idea of the virgin birth aside and he came to Christ and placed his faith and became a Christian in spite of having questions uh, about the virgin birth. And he said after he became a, a Christian, uh, he began to think about it a little bit more and he realized, he said, that uh, for a God who could create the universe out of nothing, uh, a Y chromosome in, in Mary's body is child's play. So what a... What an astounding thing for us to think. Now, there have been people who have argued against this, and uh, I, I suppose a good place to start would be with the Scriptures, right? So let's go to Luke chapter 1, and uh, 
remind ourselves of what the Scripture has to say. I know we've been reading quite a lot from these verses, uh, but that's okay. It's that time of year. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, there are some who would say that uh, the, the Bible referring to her as a virgin simply means that she was, she was a young lady. That's all it means. Um, but as we continue to read the scripture, we find that that's not all that it means. It, it literally means uh, the same thing that we mean when we refer to a virgin, someone who has not had uh, intimate relationships. Uh, verse 28. Gabriel, uh, the angel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The, the, the context, the statement is very clear. Um, how can this happen? This is, it's impossible. Verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Why does the doctrine of the virgin birth matter? Why is it important? As in the case of William Craig that I mentioned a few moments ago, I believe it is possible for a person to get saved and come to Christ and find him as a Savior, really knowing very little. Um, you don't have to know or believe in the virgin birth in order to become a Christian. Now, I will say you can't reject it as a Christian once you learn about it, but it's not one of those issues that is essential to our foundation uh, of our Christianity. Is everybody with me so far? Is everybody okay? Some of you are looking at me. Um, not just looking, but you're looking. John, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, why does it matter, though? Why should we believe in the virgin birth? First of all, we need to believe in the virgin birth because of the doctrine of Scripture, our belief in the authority of Scripture. One of our articles of faith of the Church of the Nazarene states that we believe in the plenary inspiration uh, of God's Word, both the Old and the New Testaments, and that it is 
completely, this, my wording is not exactly right, but it's something like this, that it is fully sufficient. It is, it's got everything in it that we need for matters of faith and godliness. We believe in the authority of Scripture. We believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, that it is in the original manuscripts without mistake, without error. We look at the Scriptures, and these are verses that you are familiar with. If we simply read what the, what the Bible has to say about itself, 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 16, reads this way, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And here at the time this, uh, of this writing, the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, and when he said, All Scripture... That, in his day, primarily referred to the Old Testament. And uh, at the same time, they were beginning to recognize the writings of the apostles as Scripture. Uh, there is a passage in one of Peter's writings where he refers to Paul's letters as Scripture. And they believed that it came from God, that it was inspired by God, that it uh, was of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Another passage of Scripture that we read is 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So simply because of the authority and our understanding, uh, our belief in the authority of Scripture, we need to believe what it says about the virgin birth. If we begin calling the Scripture into question about things that seem unbelievable to us, uh, then we are in danger of beginning a, a domino effect where we begin questioning one thing after another. And that kind of thing is difficult to stop once it gets started. And quite honestly, I think in some of our more mainline and modern churches today, we're seeing the effects of that people who have begun to question the authority of Scripture and say, well, I'm not sure the Bible really meant what it said when it said this. We ought to be like the, the, uh, the little lady that said, I, I'm so, I, I believe so much in the Bible that I'd believe it if it told me that Jonah swallowed the whale. The virgin birth is important because of our understanding of the doctrine of Scripture. It is important we need to believe in the virgin birth because of our understanding of the deity of Christ. We believe in the deity of Christ. Again, Luke chapter 1, we read these words to you, but let me just point out a couple statements that the angel made to Mary. In verse 32... He said that he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That is a, a, a pretty clear indication of a, an identity of deity, a claim to deity. Not only this, but we could point to other examples of Scripture. I'm not going to take time to list all of these, but if you study the Gospel of John, one of the things that is unique uh, about John's Gospel uh, is the I am statements of Jesus. It's full of these statements. For example, one would be as uh, he is arguing, not arguing, but interacting with with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. Uh, he says to them, before Abraham was, I am. There are some uh, who would tell us, they try to explain away the identity of Jesus Christ and say that he was nothing more than a good man. He was not God incarnate. He was not God come in the flesh. And some will even go so far as to say that he never claimed to be God come in the flesh. And friends, the people that say those kinds of things have simply never clearly read their Bibles or understood. Because in the Gospel of John and in other passages, when Jesus makes these kinds of statements, like, before Abraham was, I am, many times uh, the uh, religious leaders, the Pharisees of his day, uh, began to pick up stones and try to kill him. On another occasion, they took him up to, a, to the top of a precipice to try to throw him over the edge and kill him and take his life. Do you know why they wanted to kill him? Because they, they believed he was claiming to be God which in their minds was blasphemy. Now, if we remove the miraculous dimension of Jesus' birth, the idea that he was conceived in a virgin's womb, then it... I don't suppose we should say that God couldn't have done anything else in order to bring... Uh, himself into this world, but the fact that he chose this method, anything, anything less would seem to reduce Christ to something less. If we reject the virgin birth, if we reject this idea that he was born uh, of a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit, would reduce Christ. <clears throat> born of the Virgin Mary, not only indicates to us the importance of the deity of Christ, but it also indicates to us the importance of the humanity of Christ. And one of the things that we need to understand here is that both are necessary. Both are crucial to our understanding of who Jesus Christ is that he is fully divine and fully human. He's not 50-50. He's not half God and half man. He is not, as some would say, born as a human man. And when he was baptized, this is what some people believe. When he was baptized and the Holy Spirit fell on him, that that's when uh, Jesus, the man, became the God-man. Not true. He was born of the Virgin 
Mary, conceived by the Holy Ghost, fully divine and yet fully human. One of the reasons that this is so important is based on the requirements of an intermediary, uh, someone who would mediate uh, for another must be someone who can fully identify with both sides that are requiring mediation. This is why it's essential that we accept both the deity and the humanity of Christ. It's why that for we as Christians, when we pray, we can... Now, I, I will admit there are times when I pray that it seems as if God is far away. But it only seems that way. He is never far away. Robert Murray McShane said, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I wouldn't be afraid of anything. And then he went on to say, but distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. He is at the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. We read from Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 15 and 16, these beautiful words. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I remember as a teenage boy having conversations with my dad about the, really how meaningful is this, that yes, he, he was tempted in all points like we are, but he was God in the flesh. And I remember thinking, does it really mean that much? And I, I've got to be honest with you and tell you, I don't know how to fully answer that question yet. But I will tell you this, I am confident that Jesus Christ in the flesh experienced every kind of trial and every kind of problem and every kind of test and temptation just like you and I face. And he was able, I believe, if I, if I was going to try to explain it, I think I would try to explain it this way. Here's what I believe. I can't be dogmatic about this, but this is what I think. I don't think that Jesus conquered his tests and his trials in the power of his divinity because he was both divine and human. I believe that Jesus overcame the tests and the trials that he experienced as a human the same way that you and I can overcome, and that is through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Certainly it must have been easier for Jesus to access that perhaps than it is for us, but it is certainly possible and not just possible, but something that we are called to, to overcome in the power of the Holy Spirit. The humanity of Christ. Also, why does it matter that we believe in the virgin birth? It matters because of the need for the sinlessness of Christ. The sinlessness of Christ. I refer you back to this passage in Hebrews chapter 4 again. Uh, where it says that he was tempted in all points as we are, and yet without sin. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. He remained sinless. Now, if, if the virgin birth were questionable, 
If it were uncertain that Jesus was really born of a virgin, I'm not sure how we could be confident that he had come into this world without the stain and corruption of Adam's sin. Having both a human father and a human mother would seem to me, and I think to most Bible scholars that you would read after, to almost guarantee that he would be born with inherited depravity, a corrupted nature, just like all of us were born with. The fact that he was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, gives us this uh, this idea that he was able to come into this world without the stain of sin. And this is vital, the idea of the sinlessness of Christ, because Jesus came not just as a perfect human, but he came as the new head of the human race. Adam, the first Adam, was the first head of the human race. Jesus Christ came as the second Adam. Romans chapter 5, verse 15, we read these words, The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. I'm skipping down now to verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men... So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. You see, it is crucial that Christ is sinless. Not just sinless in the, the aspect of not having committed any deeds of sin, but sinless in the fact that he was born without any taint or corruption of sin in his being at all. We read again in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Yes, I lost my place there. I'm sorry. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You see, friends, Jesus' sinlessness as the new head of the human race and the atoning Lamb of God is absolutely vital to our salvation. The fact that he was sinless both in his life and his behavior and also in his nature. Finally, this evening... It is important that we believe in the virgin birth because of the nature of grace. Because of the nature of grace. You see, if the virgin birth tells us anything, it tells us that God took the initiative in our salvation. 
we still don't have to go up to bring him down or out to bring him in. We don't have to shout to make ourselves heard. But friends, we have a God in heaven who took the initiative to win back Adam's race to himself. He did not randomly choose some son of a, of a human man and woman and say, this is the one that I'm going to use. I'm going to supernaturally enable him to live a sinless life. And then he will go to the cross as the representative of all human race. No, God said, I'm going to have my spirit come upon this young woman in, and be conceived, have myself conceived in her virgin womb. I believe it was Dennis Kinlaw who states the miracle of the life of Christ. You see, if you look at all of the life of Christ, you will see that the whole of his life is a miracle. All of the life of Christ is miraculous. Yes, he, he, he performed miracles in his life, but his entire life is a miracle from the very beginning to the very end. And I love the way Dennis Kinlaw said it. He, he said that God in Christ came into this world through a door marked no entrance. And he left through a door marked no exit. That is, he came in through a virgin's womb and left through an empty tomb. And the whole of the life of Christ is miraculous, and because of that miracle, friends, grace is available to you and to me, and we can receive it freely tonight. Praise his name. Let's stand together.